Not to content to make things easy, the day we try sort of a new format, I also add a new scripture reading. Um, it's a chance for us to sort of add another level to our worship service to have more connections to sort of come through. And so uh, that was what Brian read. And throughout Advent, we'll have three sort of scripture readings throughout the service. And I'll do my best to make sure that they actually connect and have meaning in the sermon and they're not just read for the sake of adding more scripture. But I don't think it hurts for us to hear more scripture read and reflected upon. Now, one of the things that I often think at the start of Advent is, is what time is it? Now, we can see right now that it is 1025. I don't know if they put that up to keep the preacher honest and short or if that's there for the congregation. But it is 1025 if somebody asks what time it is. But if you're familiar in a different way, people ask what time is it, and you'll say it's dinner time, it's lunch time, it's breakfast time. My favorite is what time is it? It's game time, huh? Anyway, some people know that one. That's good. When you do that and everybody's like, what are you talking about? Then, you're, then you know you're lost. Um, and so what this passage from Mark today asks for us is to discern what time is it. Now, Advent is a word that simply just means arrival. And so most of the time, at least when I was growing up, when I thought about the Advent season, I thought about it's the time counting up to the days of Jesus' birth. It's us just waiting for this time where Jesus is born. And you get that thing, and it's, it's good for kids, but when adults say it, I really cringe, that, that Christmas is the celebration of Jesus' birthday. It's, it's, it's that sort of leads to that mentality, rather than Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of God with us. Emmanuel with us is really what it's more about. It's not about a birthday per se with Jesus, but it's about that God is coming into this place, that God has taken flesh among us, and that this place, this world, is where God will rule. And so when we get to, to Advent, the season of arrival, we're not just counting down the days until we celebrate the Incarnation. But as Christians, we're also putting ourselves in the place of awaiting Jesus' return again waiting for Jesus to come back. Now, one of my professors had this habit of calling the Left Behind series um, theological pornography. That's the only way we sort of understand the second coming is that we get all rapture focused and we get all focused on um, that when is it going to happen and we begin to try and discern through the scriptures exactly the date and the challenges of that. Now, one of the things I tell people often, and you've probably heard me say it, is that I don't really like it when Christians try to one-up Jesus. And so if you think, well, I'll make it through life and be perfectly successful while being a perfect Christian, Jesus couldn't do that. Or maybe this, is that I'll follow the way of the Christian path in my life, but I won't have to suffer. I'll be able to make it through without suffering. Jesus couldn't and didn't do that as well. But the one that, that I say these two examples for is the most important one, which is, I think I know when Jesus is coming back. Mark, in this passage, says that Jesus himself doesn't know the time or the day when it's going to happen. So when Christians say, I think I know when Jesus is coming back, it's like, I'm, I'm better, I'm, I'm going to one-up Jesus on this one. I can do it a little bit better than he can wiser and smarter, and I can tell the time correctly. So that's sort of the, 
the don't try to one-up Jesus in your estimations or don't try to force this sort of second coming, this arrival of Jesus that we're waiting again into a certain sort of way of being. And so what Advent calls out for us is this, this time of arrival in which we sort of stand between two poles. We stand in one pole, and this is a good time for us to remember that we come from the synagogue. The Christians come out of this this tree, as Paul calls it, that we are grafted into, which is called Judaism. And so where we come from on this one pole is that as Christians during Advent, we kind of try and put ourselves in the spot of awaiting the gift that it means for God to be with us. That God will come and take residency and place up in the world. That's one pole that we stand from. But as Christians, we also look forward towards another pole, which is the pole of return. We wait Christ's return and Christ coming back. Coming back to consummate all things, to set all things right, to wipe every tear from every eye, to end hunger and famine. That, that song we sang, uh, My Soul is Filled with Joy, which comes from Mary's sort of line that when she finds out she's with child, is that, is that things will be turned upside down more in the second turning. And so as Christians, we, we sort of put ourselves in the place of, of seeing that we come from synagogue. We come from these people who expected God to come and set things to right. But as Christians, we also, more importantly, take this time to reflect on when will God come back. The book of Revelation ends with, Come now, Lord Jesus. And we make ourselves at home in the world really well. Particularly... 21st century North America, as Christians, we can make ourselves at home in the world really well. The idea of that Jesus needs to come back and set this to right, to heal the wounds, to bind people together, to, to, to sort of reorder, to lower, um, John the Baptist will say that he will lower mountains and that he will raise values and make valleys and make a clear path for people to come to the knowledge of the Lord doesn't always quite seem as necessary for us. I mean, to live in a world to, that sort of says, of, out of all the things you want, what do you want for a gift on Christmas, is, is kind of weird to then also say, you know, we don't really want for this place to stay the way it is. We want it to be changed, and we want Christ to come and renew it and, and change it into the ways in which it was meant to be. And so this, this first Sunday of Advent is, is about hope. If we had an Advent wreath, it would be sort of the hope candle. But it's also about that time of discomfort in which we sort of say that things aren't as they should be. Here's where we're lucky, that we can see beyond the periphery of our lives. We can see what's happened throughout the world in the last, I don't know, two months. I mean, we just have rising tensions in one area of the world, in the South Pacific. We have challenges of, of, of shootings and violence within our own country. We have um, a growing sort of income disparity throughout the world. We have lots of challenges that we can see. And so through these, we know that things aren't as they should be. It's comfortable and as easy as my life is, and I, it's pretty comfortable and pretty easy. I can see that there are things that still need to be renewed reset here. But God is coming back to set this place to rights. And so that's sort of where we, where we sit with this Mark reading. And it's, I think it's always great that it starts with this. You know, Mark doesn't have a lot of time for the nativity story. 
actually zero time at all for the, for the nativity story. John, John has less time, too, for the nativity story. This season that we sort of focus on this nativity thing only comes from two Gospels. And yet for many, it's the most they know about Christianity. It's the most they know about who, who Jesus is. And it's also this, this time in which we sort of really make sure these stories are impressed on the people. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, although I will admit I can be a Scrooge at times. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I do think that we focus so much on what these stories tell us from two Gospels when the, when the fact that you open John's Gospel with this idea that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. And the Word comes into the world that's in darkness and he brings light to it. And not only that, as he comes in the world that's in darkness, Eugene Peterson translates this phrase that he moves into the neighborhood, the word that was with God. He comes close to us. God gets personal in that moment. What it says later is that while he was light in the world, the darkness couldn't handle that. So as we always, as we walk through these stories, as we move towards the gift of the incarnation, it's important to remember that the wood of the manger is similar to the wood of the cross. The gift of the incarnation names both that Christ is here, and it's a great, inspiring picture, but it also goes to the place of darkness as well. God doesn't come just to be quaint in a manger. He comes to challenge the way the world is, and like humans, we can't handle that. So this, this section, this scripture has a way of breaking sort of our sentimentality at times around this. Now, one of my favorite images for where we are in the world that we can sort of celebrate in Advent is this one that comes from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was arrested and thrown in prison for allegedly attempting to assassinate Hitler. Now, we could talk longer about how that actually happened, but that's where he is. And he's writing a letter to his family after that. He says, by the way, a prison cell is a good analogy for Advent. One waits, hopes, does this or that, ultimately negligible things. The door is locked. The door is locked and can only be opened from the outside think what that names for us is that we sort of move into the season is that is that it's not it's helpful for us to think of ourselves as locked into a place if the world is going to be set to rights if the world is going to change if new things are going to happen it has to happen from the outside it has to come by the power of god through his gifts and his spirit working through and among us and in that original incarnation of what god does in jesus starts it but as we still exist in a world that's frustrated with God's purposes, that doesn't want to live according to that, that still has dissonance in its ways, we sit and we wait. We wait for the cell to be opened. What I think is helpful here, though, is that we know it will be opened. What Jesus is telling his disciples in Mark 13, as it leads towards his passion account, is that this cell will be open someday. I will come and I will gather my people from the four winds, and then they will see that the master is coming home to his house. That things will be put back together when Christ comes. 
So as we wait in a cell, and this was a phrase we've talked about, is that what we turn from is, is we turn from prisoners to watchmen. We turn from people locked with no hope to people who are looking for signs of the coming that's going to renew all things. And so the Corinthians reading that Brian read for us before we sang, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, names the gifts that God has given us for this time. That God hasn't just left us in this time into the, in the cell to dilly-dally, but God has given us gifts, is purifying us for the day of the Lord in which he will return. God is calling us into something. And so while as we, like the world, we aren't exempt from the sufferings and the trials that are happening, bad things still happen to Christians. Diseases still come. Misfortune happens. We're caught up in the ways and the disjunctions of the world. But we have these gifts, these things which God has given us that are equipping us for the time that he returns. They're equipping us for when he comes back and sets all things to right. And so these these birth pains is what Mark calls them a little bit earlier in the section, are about the birth of sort of this new world. Paul is going to take this imagery and say that while we still groan in agony, God hears us and the Spirit is interceding for us. And what we're awaiting is this birth of this new world, this time of renewed and changed things. We get a hint. We see that in the incarnation. We see that when God takes flesh among us. It is good and proper for Christians to take time to celebrate that together. But what we do, we can't lose sight of the challenges that still exist in the world. The renewal that still needs to happen. The recreation that God is going to create in this place. And so what does this mean for us? The first thing that I think of often with this, and and Mark 13 points this out helpfully, is that it's like the master coming home. Now, if we've had babysitters when I was growing up, sorry, Kelly doesn't leave me with one now. When I was growing up, my parents would get babysitters. And we knew that my parents were coming home, right? And we knew that the babysitter had the ultimate sort of threat with us. If you keep behaving this way, I'm going to tell your parents what you've done. Now, I was, I was a little bit smarter than that. I would say, well, if, you, if you're going to tell them, then I should just keep being bad. And so that would help walk the steps back to... to to some sort of neutrality in which they would give me an okay report. How fallen 10-year-olds are. Um, But, um, you know, there's this time in which we exist awaiting for the master to come home. Jesus will use this analogy in parables a lot. And that wicked servants will overthrow the house. They will put the house into disarray. They They will do things the master wouldn't have done while the master is gone what we see in the world often. The world is still frustrating God's purposes and God's creation on this side of the incarnation as well. But what we know is that God is coming back. And so we know we have this sense within us that the master is returning home and that is good news for us. And it's not good news 
for the agents of destruction, the agents of addiction, the agents of pulling apart what God has intended for this world. That those things that when the master returns home will cease to exist. They'll no longer be business as usual in this fallen way, but that God's fullness will reign here. And so what we're waiting for is almost a homecoming of sorts. But the last thing I think that today's passage really reminds us of is that we exist in this, in this sort of, if you read a lot of the early writings from the church, they describe them as people sort of writing in a death cell as if they were on death row. Part of that has to do with persecution. Part of it has to do with um, uh, the nature of being a faith in a world that's so anti your faith. But one of the things that they're believing is very intensely that Jesus is coming back very soon. They're believing that each day we live as if the master could show up any moment. You think you try and find the times to when this is going to happen, but really what they were living as is that God was going to show up and consummate everything. Now, if you've ever had a paper due or a test to take or something to turn in, even if you procrastinate to the last minute, at some moment you know you're going to have to do that thing. You're going to have to enter into that. And so what that, that sort of, um, that death cell thing was naming for them is that they saw every moment as the moment that Christ was going to be there. The intensity of Christ's return shined in them all the time that made them live holy and fruitful lives now. They didn't think, oh, just the master is coming back, but I know it's probably not going to be tomorrow, and so I'm okay. They actually thought that the master was coming back in a way that could be any instant. And they didn't see it as sort of this legalistic binding thing that they have to be on the good side of the master. They saw it as the freedom to live fruitfully in the life that they have. Matthew, and in, in Matthew, Jesus names as well about worrying about clothes and food. But God will gift them to you. It's a season of worry and anxiety for so many people about having the right food and what type of clothes I'll get for Christmas. But what I think this time names for us is that the, what they saw was that God is coming back and each moment had sort of this life and death importance. And so today's reading ends with this, I say to you, watch. I say to you, keep awake. I say to you that now is the time to stay alert. I know as the holidays come upon us, it becomes easier to fall away from that notion that something is happening here. As the pressures of daily life mount, it's always easy to lose sight of that sort of prison cell analogy that God has for us. But... I think what Mark 13 calls out for us today is that we are to be alert and wait with the God, gifts that God has given us. We're to expect that this Jesus is coming back soon and that our lives should show that he's coming near to us. But what we can do as Defiance Church in the meantime is see the need for God's deliverance and more importantly know that it is God who sets it right. One of the things I love about this passage in Mark 13, it doesn't say, keep busy. Make yourself known as Christians. 
It's all up to you to make sure that this is okay. What he says is simply keep awake. Stay on watch. Know that the time of my coming and return is coming. And that in the meantime, you're equipped with gifts and good things to do the work of God. But more importantly, look for where God is coming. Await that hope. Await that transformation of the world. Because that will change everything. Let us pray.